1: Today's post will be the last episode involving the ordination of Elder John Morgan Owens on May 14th, 2022. In our two previous posts from this service, we heard the opening prayer by Elder Wayne Crocker, the questioning of the candidate by Elder Tim McCool, the ordination prayer by Elder Mike Ivey, and the charge delivered by me, Elder Chris McCool. In today's post, we'll hear Elder David Crawford's charge to Brother John Morgan Owens, And I just want to say it's one of the best charges I've ever heard. Today's post is a little longer than usual, but I felt it important to have this charge as one post and not split up. So I hope you'll bear with us today as we conclude the ordination service of Elder John Morgan Owens from May Fourteenth, Twenty 2022. It is such a privilege to be here today
0: and to affirm everything that we have heard from the preaching this morning to the things that have been shared here um, and asserted in this ordination service. It's a great privilege to join my voices with them that have gone before me. In April of nineteen seventy five, I sat where you sit. I was three years old (laughs) on this (laughs) day. I wish <laughs> I was young. I was young. I was a teenage boy, and um, you know the the greatest joys I've ever had in my life have been as a function of my duties, fulfilling them as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest joys I've ever had the greatest sorrows I've ever experienced have been um, in the function of my duties. We are God's men. We are pilgrims of paradox. We are. We will one day put to flight the prophets of Baal and by our hand and the strengthening of the Spirit of God, hack in pieces 450 prophets of Baal. And then the next day we will flee in despondency from Jezreel in the face of our adversaries. It's a paradoxical life, but it is well worth the trip. So... When I was ordained that day, <laughs> this, is, this is to give you all just a little insight. Uh, when I was ordained that day, I was so afraid. I, I, from the time I woke up that morning, I think I took a big breath when I woke up, I didn't breathe again until it was all over. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I can, re- I was so young, I was a teenage boy, THE ONLY THING I REMEMBER IN THE CHARGE THAT MY PRECIOUS FATHER DELIVERED TO ME, HE SAID, um, I REMEMBER THIS, HE SAID THAT AS A FATHER, IT HUMBLES ME AND TOUCHES ME IN WAYS THAT I CANNOT EXPLAIN TO YOU ALL THAT MAYBE OUR MASTER HAS LAID HIS HAND ON MY SON and send him away to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, on the other hand, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. (laughs) I share those things up front. To beg you all to pray for this dear young man and this precious young lady. They need your prayers. He will do well. (laughs) He is going to be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He is. What a noble young man. What a precious young woman. We're so thankful. So we begin. These are things, um, and this is not the typical charge, I'm sure. Things that I was charged about 50 years, almost 50 years ago now, just lacking three. 50 years ago, the most important thing that my fathers in the ministry were concerned for me that I was able to thwart Armenians. That was their greatest concern. Can the boy Perry blows with Armenians if he runs into one? I mean, they were passionate about it. They weren't playing. And I got really kind of grilled that day, as they set up one straw man after the other of Armenian theology, and let's see how he handles that. So I want to say, as I share with you, things that I think are paramount today, Brother John Morgan. The people that I pastor, the families that I pastor, their great enemy is not Armenians. It's not. It's not the great foe of our families today. So, I want to speak from my pastor's heart to yours about what I think the battle is in our nation where the church exists today. And so, what's the basis of my comments? I'll read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul's writing about ministry. I'd really encourage you to. Um, study greatly and deeply the contents of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It will get you through the long haul. Paul has just said prior to verse 13 that we're always bearing about in our bodies as ministers. We bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul literally did physically in his. Christ's back, they lifted the flesh from off of his back. And Paul, for his love for the Savior, allowed them to lift the flesh off of his back. He literally bore in his body the marks of the dying of the Lord Jesus. He said that the life of Christ might be manifest in our body. For all the suffering you may do as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be worth it. Because our resurrected Lord is giving us resurrection life. Right. And that is so worth it. <laughs> so he says that. He said, We having the same spirit of faith. So Paul tells us the basis on which he's going to preach. The same spirit of faith is that the life of Christ is being manifest in me. Paul's saying, I believe. That I have the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ in me, and in the strength of that, I will speak. We having the same spirit of faith, faith and belief in a resurrected Lord who's given us resurrection life and regeneration. So He says this, according as it is written in Psalm one sixteen verse ten. David said, "I believed." Therefore, have I spoken? We also believe, and therefore we speak. Amen. The reason you're a minister of the gospel, a preacher, is because you believe, mm-hmm. therefore, you speak. Right. The things that I believe, that our families in North Florida in central Alabama, in California in Texas, the things that I believe that they need to be affirmed in are as follows: This is where the battle is. The battle for our families that we pastor is a battle of world views yep.
2: Amen.
0: and we now In this pluralistic society, we are finding the uh, liberal elite, and this is not a political statement, it's a statement of facts. The elite of our nation are putting forth a culture without God. And so we need to affirm to our families again this, that I believe and so I speak. I BELIEVE THERE IS A GOD, I BELIEVE IN GOD, AND SO I SPEAK, AND IT IS NOT THE GOD THAT IS ACCEPTABLE TO THE INTELLECTUAL ELITE OF OUR SOCIETY, IT'S NOT THE GOD OF EASTERN MYSTICISM, IT'S NOT THE IMPERSONAL GOD OR THE UNSEEN FORCE OF THE UNIVERSE, I believe in a personal God. Amen. I believe in a God that has self-awareness and is conscious of Himself right. and conscious of His people and His creation. Right. I believe in the God of the Bible. Right. Amen. I believe in God and because I believe in God, I speak. Right. And I speak in His name. Amen. Just as often as I'm given the opportunity, grace affords and the spirit will energize. I believe in God and I teach our people that our God, the God of the Bible is alive and he has knowledge of them. He's not impersonal and that he's acquainted with the affairs of their life and he cares for them and he's intimately involved. He's not the God of the deist of this day. Jesus said, if your father, if your God, one of the most consoling and and this is what I teach our people. I share this over and over and over again. It's very simple. But it's what they need. Our culture is teaching that if God was ever here, he's gone away. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said in the first sermon that he ever preached, If God so clothed the grass which is today, and to Mars cast in the oven, how shall I not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? I believe that and I preach that. Our families need to hear that. God is with us today. Amen. I believe and so I speak. I believe in the first verse of the first book in the Bible. I believe that in the beginning, God. I don't believe that we're the most in our children and uh, our grandchildren are being taught that we're tantamount, that all we are is just the most complex chemical reaction in the universe. I don't believe that. I don't speak that. I don't believe that I'm just a cosmic chemical spill in this galaxy. I believe that the all-wise God, the great God of heaven and of earth, the God that possesses all wisdom, that He he purposefully has seemed good to Himself, that He spoke. And it was done, commanded, and creation stood fast. That he in his wisdom has cunningly devised everything that we see round about us and that we are not accidents. I believe that. Our people need to hear that. They need to understand that. That God cared enough to create. I believe in God. And I think that people are without excuse whenever they can look around because the invisible things of God are clearly seen from the creation, even His eternal power and Godhead. And I teach that and I believe that. And then, which men find preposterous, they think it's mere superstition. I believe that 2,000 years ago God came to this earth. I believe that 2,000 years ago He came to this earth and He lived and He died. The Jews were offended. They stumbled at that belief. It was a stumbling block for them. That Jehovah, that the thrice holy God, Jehovah, the uncreated, self-existing, eternal God would come that close. Mm -hmm. That the transcendent God, our people need to hear that he did. That he cared enough to come. The Jews stumbled at that. They just could not imagine that Jehovah would come here. Whenever just the cloud of His glory would cause men to leave the tabernacle or uh, leave the temple, it couldn't be where He was. And the thought that He would come in a body, they stumbled at it. And the Greeks thought it was absolute foolishness that God, the Greeks you know, believed in prime matter, that their God, the God of Aristotle, might not even be aware that we existed, though he had created us. He was so far superior to us, he could not become what we are. They think that's foolish. The Greeks would have went along. They they coined the phrase logos, the idea of this force that's crafting and making and designing. And so they would have went along with John, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God. That's fine, the Logos is God. He's the impersonal force. But when John said in verse 14 Mm -hmm. that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory Mm -hmm. as of the only begotten of the Father, Mm -hmm. it's foolishness and it's my only hope. And that's what I preach to our people. That God came 2,000 years ago, commanded the womb of a virgin to clothe Him and make Him a body of flesh, tabernacled, pitched His tent for 33 years, lived the life we couldn't live, and died the death that we couldn't die so we could go to a place we'd never get on our own. Amen. Our people need to hear that. Yes. I believe, and so I speak. Not just that he died, but that he rose again. Right. Amen. That God who, beyond imagination, that God would die. And let me say this the man died. And I know God did not die. Yeah, right. Before I'm corrected,
1: <laughs>
0: coming off the podium, I know God cannot die. But the man, Christ Jesus, he died. I teach that to our people. That he rose. And let me say this. Um, 30 years ago, um, professional Bible scholars in schools of theology in places like Columbia, Princeton, and Harvard, um, the higher critics, they they would view you as if you'd grown a third eye in the middle of your head and you went in and said that you believe in the resurrected Christ. Let me say great ground has been made in that area. Mm -hmm. Now most of those men do believe that there are many infallible proofs for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I teach our people that doesn't make the resurrection uh, correct or that it's true. The fact that they now embrace that because they've had to see the many infallible proofs, it just means they're not fools that are looking at it. (laughs) (laughs) But thank God there are many infallible proofs about his resurrection. And it was his resurrection, you know, I teach our people that the resurrection is the hub to the wheel. Amen. None of it makes any sense or matters without the resurrection of the Lord Amen. Jesus Christ preached the resurrection. Amen. James, the brother of our Lord who wrote the book of James, did not believe that his brother was the Christ. He did not believe that his brother was the Christ, but the, the day came, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Amen. That the resurrected Christ was seen by his brother James. And that made all the difference. It's hard to deny, isn't it? (laughs) When he said that he was the Son of God. That you would see the Son of Man coming in all of his glory. It's hard. James couldn't believe that. That my brother is the Messiah. God manifest in the flesh. But James had seen him die. And buried And then James saw him in his post-resurrection ministry. I believe that and I preach that to our people. They need to hear that. I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe and so I speak, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is present on the face of the earth. And that she is known... The church is known by her refusal to eat her own bread and wear her own apparel. Isaiah said that false religion would be identified by those women. Uh, False religion would be identified by those who want to eat their own bread, their own doctrine, have their own belief system, wear their own apparel, stand in their own righteousness. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ can be identified by her refusal to do that. Right. Listen, I want everybody to know this. I love good bluegrass gospel music. <laughs> I love it as good, I'd rather listen to it than eat when I'm hungry. <laughs> but whenever I pull up in the churchyard at McClinney Primitive Baptist Church, and it's time for me to go in and approach my God in worship. I turn it off. Amen. And I approach Him in gospel obedience. Right. Why do I do that? Because He said so. Right. Right. And that's, what, that's the first premise of worship. And the identifying of the church. Are we willing to obey Him? Mm-hmm. You lack something in worship if it's missing obedience. Amen? Amen. Amen. The church is identified by her willingness to follow him. Just a couple more, and I'm done, Brother Chris. I am going to watch. And we found out this morning that he finally gave the ultimate vindication that he is a uh, called minister of the gospel. Whenever he said in conclusion, and 30 minutes later he said, "That's." So I'm looking at my watch, and every old Baptist in here, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> no, just a couple of more points. I promise. I, whenever I was a, you know, fifty, almost fifty years ago, when I started trying to preach, I remember it was seen as very spiritual to constantly doubt whether you've been called to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. It was very spiritual. Now we believe in humility that right. John Morgan, you're as meek and humble a servant as I've ever been around. You are. You're possessed with the spirit of meekness. And I wanna encourage everybody, never mistake meekness for weakness. Amen. 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 Our master was the meek and lowly Nazarene, but there's nothing weak about him. Right. That's right. You're a meek man. But it's not spiritual to go around doubting your calling all the time. I believe Therefore, I speak because I believe that I'm a called minister of the gospel. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't try to preach. Paul said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and that doesn't mean that, he's not talking about the act of birth, but Paul believed that from the time that he was born, God had separated him to himself and that he was God's man even at that point. And I'm telling you, before you ever had your being, God had marked you out as his man and as his servant. It was gonna call you to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here today, Brother John Morgan. You're God's man. And so that means, oh, well, great. He's a minister. The word minister comes from the Greek word for slave. Now there are several different Greek words for servants. House servants a Greek word, bond servants a Greek word. But this is the word for slave. And it's used over 125 times, depends on who you're, 125 to 127 times in the New Testament. This Greek word, doulos. And it's slave. And so do you know what that means in the Greek? It means slave. <laughs> you can't make it anything other. It's the lowest form of slave. They're not bond servants. They're not gonna be free after they've worked for 10 years. They are permanently, perpetually, the lowest order in society, slaves. And slaves should not be volitional creatures. <laughs> they should not assert their will right. if they're going to be successful slaves. Mm-hmm. they want to be a dead slave, they'd assert their will. <laughs> or if they want to be a punished slave, they'd assert their will. But good slaves only did the will of their master. Amen. if I went to McClinny Church 44 years ago as pastor, my father gave me this advice. I love my father. I do. I'm not ashamed of that. I don't have a daddy issue. I just love him. (laughs) He's my natural father and father in the ministry. And so he told me, we loved each other. I was his only son. We were very close. And so I was 17 years old whenever I went to Pastor McClinney Church. I left my father's home at 17 years of age, a teenage boy. And he said, oh, son, go up there for a couple of years and help them out. And then you come on back home. I'm okay with that. 44 years later, I'm right. still there. Amen. And when my father, at a very young age of 56, became very ill and he was dying, I contacted a real estate agent. And I put my house on the market in McClunney, Florida, and I was moving back to Plant City. I was going to buy the house next door to him. It was for sale. And I was going to take care of him until the Lord called him home. And I told him what I was doing. He said, I want you to come see me. So I got my car and I drove three and a half hours. And he said, son, I love you and I appreciate it. But you can't do it. Can't do it, he said, you understand, you don't belong to me. You're God's man. He is going to call on you to do things that are gonna be difficult for you, that run contrary to what your flesh desires naturally. Maybe they would be good things to anybody else here in this room, anybody would've understood if I went home, except the Lord, I belong to him. And so I remain. By the way, slaves weren't in the business of building their own brand. You understand what I mean by that? Amen. Amen. The brother prayed so sweetly. He said, "We pray that Brother John that he will decrease in his own ministry, but Christ will increase." Amen. The bride rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom. We're right. just a friend of the bridegroom. Right. We're not building our brand. I believe, and so I preach. So this is very important. This is very important. I believe, and so I preach. I preach what I believe the Word of God teaches. And my burden from God's Word. This may be the most important thing I tell you outside the resurrected Christ. I believe the church is dying for lack of personal evangelism. Amen. I believe the cause of Christ. I heard just a couple of weeks ago that in the past 10 years, 60% of the churches, in the past 10 years, 60% of the churches in the great state of Texas have closed their doors. That's not God's will.
1: No. Amen.
0: I believe. And in our state, the state of Florida, I don't, it's probably equal to that. It's not that we lack the tools. We're not using what we have. Right. In our church, we have a little sister. She sat at the desk of a bank for the past many, many years. We have five families that are members of our church because that little sister believes that it is her precious responsibility to share salvation by the sovereign grace to everybody to stand still long enough for her to share it. It still works if we'll do it. The church is responsible, all of us, are responsible for personal evangelism, telling, and all you have to do, the best recommendation a doctor can receive is just one patient telling another patient how they got well. That's all you got to do. Amen. Just tell them, listen, I was sick. Mm. And I needed help. (laughs) And I was suffering. And I found relief at Old Zion Primitive Baptist Church. You come out and hear.
1: Amen.
0: (laughs) Please, you all. There's more I'd like to say about that, but I'm going to, last thing, I believe and so I speak, it's worth the journey, Yes. it's okay. tough, <laughs> it is so difficult at times, but it's worth the journey. Right. I'm going to share one last thing with you about my dad, you all will know all about my dad by the time I leave here today, <laughs> he's a faithful man. He was ordained to the work of the gospel ministry when he was 17 years old and he died at 58. He had an adult onset of juvenile diabetes, which whenever that happened, it was a death sentence. They couldn't do much for that. Did all he could, was very faithful to his diet, took care of himself, but an adult onset of juvenile diabetes in that day was a death sentence. And so the doctor told him he worked to support, of course, his family by vocational, he worked hard, and uh, he pastored hard. Yeah. He pastored hard. You're talking about personal evangelism. I saw him on one Sunday night, just regular Sunday night meeting, baptized 17 people. Praise God. It works. Yes. It works. And that dear man. This is, this is it now. I loved him so much, he was leaving us. He was in jeopardy. This is when we first, in his late 40s, when we felt like we could still get it turned, maybe. But the doctor told him, he said, listen, you're going to have to quit your jobs. You're going to have to quit your jobs. you have to quit pastoring. He said, that's what's causing the most stress in your life. And even though you're not eating sugar, stress to a diabetic's like eating coconut cake. Or a sweet potato cobbler by Sister Lorraine. (laughs) Thank God. That's a spiritual experience if you've never (laughs) had it. So so he told my dad, his dear doctor, said, listen, we can add 10 years to your life if you'll just quit pastoring. You can preach. Just quit pastoring. So my mother breathlessly called me to tell me, we've got what we need. The doctor told him an additional 10 years if he'll quit pastoring, I said, I'm coming down to the ordination this weekend so you and I will work on him Saturday night whenever I get there. And we'll convince him that if he loves us, he'll quit pastoring, he'll give up his churches and just preach, you know, a little, long and along." And so we begged him. We worked on him. He loved us. We begged him and worked on him. She wept and I cried and we begged. And finally, after a couple hours of that, he looked at us and he said, okay, it's not fair for me to do this to you all. You're my family, I love you. I will, I will, I give them up. I won't quit the ministry. I'll preach a little long and alone, but I'll quit pastoring. You deserve an additional 10 years. You're my family. So we went to the ordination the next day, and uh, I was so glad. I was like, yes, (laughs) we've got him, the Lord's in it. Went to the ordination that day, very touching like this, he was delivering the charge. At the end of his charge, he was talking about faithfulness in the ministry. And he, he threw my mother and I under the bus as bad as anybody's ever been thrown under the bus. And he looked out at the congregation that he'd been serving since he was a boy preacher. And he told him, he said, my doctor has said that I've got to quit. My wife, who loves me better than she loves herself, has told me I've got to quit. My son, who loves me, Better than the breath going in and out of his body has told me I've got to quit. But he said, from the time I was a 17 year old boy preacher and I put my hand to the plow in honor of my living Lord, he said, I've just never found a place to let go. Amen. He said, I can't let go now. Amen. And I looked over at mom and <laughs> And it did cut his life short. And uh, he was confined to a bed for the last year of his life. But I'm telling you, I believe he did as much good people coming and hearing his sweet testimony that last year. As he laid his life down on the altar of Christian service. did as much good as probably 10 years put together of gospel ministry. It was worth his journey. The last words he had to say in this world was not bitterness. I can't believe it. Look what's happened to me. But it was my soul doth magnify the Lord and God my spirit doth rejoice.
1: Amen.
0: It's a good way. It's a difficult way. But it's the best way. It's an honorable way. And I wouldn't go any other way Amen. today. Sister Meredith, I tell you what I heard an old preacher say many, many years ago. It's very simple old country preacher, looked at the wife of Elder Gordon Smith and he said, Sister Bunny, you can help him or you can hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> you will do him good all the days of his life. You're one of the dearest young ladies. It's ever been my privilege to know. I apologize for being so wordy. I love you all. God bless you is my prayer.
1: Appreciate what Brother David said. Uh, and we'll be dismissed at this time. I'm going to ask Elder Neil Honey, if you would, to pray the closing prayer. Please bow with me.
2: Kind and dear Master, our hearts are full today. And we feel so lifted up and so privileged and blessed to have been in your presence and also in the presence of these dear saints. Lord, in a culture where it seems that truth is been much abandoned it it does us good to see so many people come today to to share in these proceedings lord and to wish them well and i hope also that we will be faithful to pray for brother john morgan and sister Meredith, lord we recognize that you're a sovereign god we know and we see by faith that You truly are a a resurrected risen Savior, that You have by by Yourself purged our sins, and You are seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high today. We know also that You make intercession for us before God the Father. And we realize that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so, Lord, in the midst of our praise and thanksgiving today, I... I ask a request on behalf of this dear young couple. For we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we know that there is a, a power on this earth and it is where we don't elevate it or lift it up. But we recognize and we acknowledge that those same demonic forces battled against Michael in ancient times and were cast down from moving amongst the stones of fire. And it withstood your messenger angels in the days of Daniel, Lord, that they still roam this earth and to and fro seeking whom they may devour and Satan himself. And Lord, we know that this dear brother, has been battling in your service for some time. But certainly today, we know that the enemies of of your church will certainly mark him out. And so Lord, I pray that you would send your angels to guard over him and his sweet family. That you would raise a hedge around him. Around his mind, around his body, around his dear wife, around their child, around his home, around his business, around his animals, around his car. We know a time will come probably where he will be trying to decide whether to take on the pastor's role in a church. And during that time of indecision, and you only know how that will go, but we know Satan will assault him then and will try to tear down everything in his life that he possibly can. But we trust you. That You are not only the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world for us, but to Your enemies You are a lion and You are a man of war. And so I pray You would protect Him. Bless Him, Lord, in every way You see fit. Lord, please, uh, as much as it would be within Your will, make the material things of this world easy for Him. That He could be free to labor in the Gospel. Lord, please keep him from being lifted up in pride, but also, Lord, rescue him from the quicksands of despair. Help him to walk the straight and narrow path right through the middle of the kingdom of God with all your blessings and with your protection. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be faithful to to lift him up in prayer Mm -hmm. and to help him and his wife, his family, in every way that is our duty to do so. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for condescending once again to come and be among us and, and help us see You one more time. Thank You for these dear elders. I pray, Lord, that You would continue to call laborers yes. into Your fields, into Your harvest. And if it be Your will, this be the first of many ordinations in this area. Amen. Yes. Lord. As you have been so faithful to sustain this church for 175 years, we've heard of other elders ordained in years past. Lord, you've always been faithful to take care of this church. Lord, we pray for we pray for Brother Chris, the pastor here. Please bless them. We love you. We've heard so much today of what you've done for us, and yet we know that we just see through the glass darkly. We pray you come quickly that we might see you face to face.